are important things, Lord. Certainly, we read our Bibles on our own. We spend time uh, investigating and drinking from the truth of God's Word. But your scriptures encourage us to gather together, to study, to, to grasp these troops together as a body, Lord. And so we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that we are in a free country, Lord, where we can do these things. We have gathered from many walks of life into one place to hear God's word. And we know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not have such freedoms. So, Lord, may we not take this for granted and may we continue to always gather, Lord, and enjoy that great blessing. Father, with that said, we know that some have gone through procedures this week. Others have had surgery. Others are home recovering, Lord, and uh, we miss them and we wish they were here with us, Lord. And so we pray that you would heal them quickly. Give them strength as they go through trials of uh, a body that's going through some kind of illness or some kind of infection or something, Lord. I pray you would just strengthen them. Help them know that we love and care for them, Lord. But mostly, Lord, we ask that they would know that you love them. And you're watching out over them. Your ear is attentive to them. Your eyes are upon them. They are the sheep of your pasture. Lord, thank you for our missionaries. What a joy to always pray for them and communicate with them and just enjoy what they're doing. What a beautiful calling you've given to them, Lord, as they've gone to places that you have not called us to. And so, Lord, we give and we pray and we ask your help with them, Lord. May you give them favor in their countries, in their villages, in the regions you've placed them in, Lord. May the gospel be unhindered. May it go forth, Lord. Protect them from the evil one who seeks to stop the message of the gospel, Lord. But as Paul told us, the word of God cannot be changed. And so we know that it goes forward, but we ask that you would protect your missionaries out there, Lord. Father, now we turn to your word. Lord, may it just jump all over us today. May it encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us, Lord. Rebuke us where we need it. Uh, strengthen us where we're weak, Lord. Your word does that for us. We give you all the praise for what's going to be said here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last few weeks we've been spending time in this great passage of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, how can you stop preaching on the love of Christ? Uh, it is our song, isn't it, for the rest of eternity. But we've, we've seen that this, this great explanation of love is really only perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, isn't it? As we walk down through each and every one of those instructions and titles and statements about love, Lord, and what it is and what it isn't of our Lord, we know that only our Lord Jesus really fulfills that. And yet the Bible is challenging us, and this is so important to think of, we could just say, oh, that Jesus, he's great. But the Bible's challenging us to live in such a way, isn't it? I think as we study, I don't know about you, but great conviction has fallen over me, challenging me in areas. Uh, it's encouraged me in areas as I look at that. And there is a desire to pursue such a love. And that's what the Bible teaches us to do, to pursue a love like this. It is one of the greatest themes of the scriptures. Paul, Paul referenced that, that we never grow old in this because the Bible's constantly talking about the love of God. Our Lord himself probably spoke about it as much as anybody. John chapter 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, this is the night before his death, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. There is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. 
We love one another. Jesus later that evening, John 15, said this. This is my commandment. Here it is again. Same opening line. That you love one another just as I've loved you. A little further down, verse 17. This, this I command you, that you love one another. This is the command of our Lord and Savior. Apostle Paul certainly jumped on this bandwagon. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Listen to this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Wow. What a statement. Can I read that again? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Later, Paul wrote to the Thessalonica church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 12 through 13. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Just as we ourselves do for you. So that he may establish your heart without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, Peter didn't want to be left out on this either. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he says, Since you have in, obe in obedience to the truth purified your soul for, for a sincere love for the brotherly, brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. The uh, Apostle John in his epistles, uh, reflecting on the message that Jesus had given him and the other disciples, says in 1 John 3.11, then there's a tremendous amount of text here. Let me just give you a couple. 3.11 says this, For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Chapter 3, verse 23, this is the commandment. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, the person, the character, essence, the glory, right? And then he says, and love one another just as he commanded us. Believe in the glory of Christ and all that he's accomplished and all that he has done and love one another. That's the commandment. Isn't that amazing? The gospel is Jesus Christ, right? He's the fulfillment of all those. He's the one who paid for our sins, past, present, and future. We believe that he is glorious and he can forgive us of our sins. We believe he stands in equality and shares glory with God. And we love one another. You notice that? See, that's the commands we're given. I think Philippians chapter 2, Paul sums up this thinking of Christ as love that reads this way. Chapter 2, you know this passage. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affections and compassion, those are responses to love, right? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we know he goes on to that great kenosis passage, that passage where our Lord veils his deity and uh, empties himself in the sense that he veils who his complete glory is, takes on flesh and lives a perfect life and dies for us. And so what a great reminder of the love of Christ and our pursuit of that, right? Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. What a great statement, right? Isn't that who we are and what we should be doing? Well, as we turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
and look at these verses, I, I want to just give you three thoughts, and we'll move on to chapter 14, I promise, next week. Um, uh, as much as I've enjoyed this and could camp here, I think you're all going to abandon me uh, if I try to do another week. But um, I, I, I am looking forward to 14 as well. But what a joy. But look with me in our Bibles, and, and here's my first thought this morning. The eternal pursuit of a never-ceasing love of Christ. There's an eternal pursuit of this that, that I see. These verses, when I look at verses 8 through 13 and, and really studied them in a, in a capsule themselves this week a little more in depthly, I see that everything that verses 8 through 13 say, and I could just sum it up as simply as this, they point to the fact that gifts are temporary, but love is eternal. As I look at that, as I look at those verses the gifts are temporal. Don't get lost in that. Those things are going to go away. In fact, some I believe, and I'll show this as we go through the, into this passage and into the next, some of these have already gone away. So don't get caught up in something that's temporal. Get caught up in what is eternal. I think that's the message of these five verses here. Now, all these gifts will cease when we step into eternity. But notice at the beginning of verse 8, Love will never fail. Now, this word, fail, never fail, is the idea, it speaks of permanency, right? The Bible's teaching us that love, particularly the love of God, the love of Christ, the love that he instills within us, the love that will last, that will be free from sin someday, is a permanent gift from God. And again, we saw that this was a picture of Christ. A song I heard recently saying this way uh, as the words were written and uh, expressing this theme, the unfailing love of Christ. The unfailing love of Christ. Well, that's what this refers to, right? This permanency of the love of Christ. The Bible tells us that he knew us and loved us before the foundations of the world and drew us to us. And as we became believers, we start to experience that more and more. As we grow in our sanctification, we know his love deeper. But there's a day coming when we step into his presence. You will understand and grasp the love of God in a way you've never, never known. Isn't that going to be phenomenal when sin is removed? And so love never fails. And the love of our Savior has never failed. But this is an interesting verse. Look at the verse with me. Love never fails. Notice there's a semicolon there. But now he's going to draw our attention to something. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away with. Well, Paul's using a conjunction. He's getting your attention here, right? He's come off this great expression of perfect love, isn't it? But now he wants to contrast something, bring a great contrast to this promise of everlasting love and you'll notice that he uses these gifts to contrast that now i think it's important and i want to make sure i'm clear here that it's important to recognize that these gifts particularly prophecies tongues and knowledge were extremely important to the early church i want to make sure i think sometimes some people in our circles just kind of poo-poo that stuff and push it off because they maybe don't understand it, or they believe it's, there's no use for it, and, and so forth. I want to make it very clear, this was extremely important. But, even in that important role, the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, is predicting in this verse, 
that their usefulness will come to an end. There's a time where that will no longer be needed. Let's look at the first one, prophecy. Now, this is a fascinating one, of course, a gift of prophecy. Now, remember, without an apostle like Paul in the church at Corinth, God was speaking to them. They did not have a full canon of scriptures. They did not have the letters that we all enjoy at this point. And so there was prophecy. And I don't doubt that there was God-given prophecy to this young church through individuals. But here, Paul is bringing out the contrast that without love, what happened to that gift is it made people empowered. It created a hierarchy and that led to factions. He's reminding them that it's a temporary gift that's going to go away. Love is going to remain. You're all hung up on what's temporary. Do you have problems with temporary sometimes? You know, we go back and look and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. I'm, I'm not where the Lord wants me. If you, sometimes you go back and pinpoint it on some very temporal things. Your health, your finances, some relationship, something like that. You'll look back and it's very temporal and it's just got to be locked down. Paul's trying to help them understand this is a temporal gift. There's something greater coming. Something greater was in the work. Paul was writing letters inspired by the Spirit. So was Peter and James and others. And there was a combination of that coming soon, which was the Scriptures. But there's even a greater fulfillment at the end of life. Tongues is another interesting one. Notice he brings out prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, right? Well, as we'll see in chapter 14, I want you to... We're, I'm going to have to sit on this a little bit because of, I think, the abuse of this gift today. We'll see that this gift was given as a sign to unbelievers. It was given for unbelievers. That's what the Bible will teach us in chapter 14. And when you think about Corinth in this tremendously diverse city where the world's languages were coming to, what a desperate need for a gift like this. God spoke through people and they heard the gospel in their language. This was a tremendous gift in a very multi-ethnic culture. And it allowed this gift of tongues to be indispensable for a time. But even then, think about what was going on in Corinth. When it was used without love, and it became this badge of superiority, right? A badge of spirituality above everybody else. And it led to division confusion and chaos and we'll see that in chapter 14 because he's exposing this great gift to present to the lost the gospel became a badge of superiority and it caused so much chaos and so much division within the church the next next gift that he mentions here in verse 8 is knowledge and this gift is closely related to the revel revelational gifts god gave knowledge it caused the Corinthians to want to know God through the gospel that Paul brought to them. But this desire was very, this gift was very desirable to them, very attractive to them. We know in chapters 1 and 2 that Paul has to deal with their love of knowledge and wisdom, right? Particularly worldly knowledge and wisdom. And this drew attention to their abilities and their superiority of speech. It drew attention to their desire for wisdom to, to be head and shoulders above everybody and even put down the apostle who was truly inspired by God and what message he brought. And so here he says that knowledge itself will be done away. Now here's the key to verse 8. Paul is pointing to these spiritual gifts that they are not signs of perfection. 
You get that? These are not signs of perfection. And that's what had been taking place in the church. Look, I, I prophesy, I speak in tongues, I, I have all knowledge, I have all these things. And, and they would elevate themselves above others, and thus the fractions and chaos and confusion was so great in the church of Corinth. Now certainly these gifts at the time of the Corinth church would have been noticeable and respected if they were conducted in love and necessary, right? There's not a full Bible, right? There, there's a necessary need for some of these communicative gifts that God gave to the early church. But Paul is making it clear that such gifts will have no comparison, no comparison to the enduring and longevity of the love of God. You've got to see that in this text. I mean, he's trying to help us realize don't get caught up in those temporal things. So in other words, here's what I believe Paul is saying, that there's a time coming where prophecy, the, the speaking of future events, will have no need for interpretation. Tongues, this languages, that's what it was. Uh, language barriers. There'll be no separation because of our speech. There's a time coming where knowledge, where no more mystery of the will of God. There are mysterious things of the will of God, particularly in this first century, that, that God had to give to help people understand the gospel. There'll be no need of that. And all of this will be done away as we bask in this unhindered glory and love of God, won't it? So because of sin we realize that we don't quite see the beauty of his love yet fully, right? And because sin will be done away with at that point, the love of God of our Savior will, will never again be seen, and I use this phrase carefully, it's in the next couple verses in verse 12, dimly again. I think now we look in a mirror dimly. And, 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 and let me tell you, when we look at the Word of God, we see the love of Christ, don't we? And I, and I love when I start thinking about this, because I see the love of God. I, mean, I was reading Romans 8 just to refresh my mind this week of how great the love of God is. I found myself in Ephesians chapter 3 reminding myself how great of the love of God was. And, and yet, it's still dim <laughs> because I'm a sinner, right? And, and, I, and I still am one who hasn't stepped into perfection yet. Can you imagine the experience of the love of God someday when that restraint is gone. Some of our loved ones are there, aren't they? Some of you lost them recently. And if they're believers, they have no restraint to the full understanding of the love of God right now. And I'm jealous. And that's what we continue to grow. Why we keep going in this life. Now, notice that it says, in prophecy and knowledge, uses the same phrase, will be done away with. Two times within verse 8 there. Karageo is the word there. Karageo is the word. It means to render inoperative. These gifts will be rendered inoperative. It has the idea of being put out of action, retired, right? They're not needed. And then when you drop down to the gift of tongues, it'll say, we'll cease, right? This word carries the idea to make cease, or um, probably better yet, pass out of existence. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't see a form of some of these gifts. Every time I go overseas and I'm 
speaking to an Arabic church. I really, really am thankful for the man that stands over here who is able to translate what I'm preaching. I think it's a great gift to be able to translate with a guy like me, preaches like I do, <laughs> and be able to communicate that truth to somebody else. I still think there's aspects of that, but this gift to be able to speak where if we were a multi-ethnic group of all different languages and I just spoke and you all heard it in your own language, uh, that's what has, I believe, ceased because of the fulfillment of God's word. And it's important to understand this. And I think this helps us understand that there is a time, there, there was a time, excuse me, and a necessity for such a gift. It had a great purpose. Oh, I want to see the replay of Acts 2, don't you? Every person hearing the gospel in their language. And some with hard hearts turning, these men are drunk. <laughs> they don't get it. But others, 3,000 of them. So they're not drunk. God's doing something amazing. What must we do to be saved? Oh, boy, that's going to be a great replay, isn't it? We want to see that. Because that's what God did as he was formulating and completing the scriptures. We have now have a completed canon. They're sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. You see, that we have to understand that because otherwise we can't say the scriptures are sufficient if God has to communicate us up and communicate to us up and beyond them. They're, they're, they're something, but you can't say they're sufficient. And yet we, and our doctrine, and our orthodoxy, we believe the scriptures are sufficient. They're everything we need for life and godliness. But that wasn't always the case in the church. God did extraordinary things. That now, think about this, the eternal love of Christ now compels us or controls us. You know that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels or controls us because he died for us that we who he died for should no longer live for ourselves but we who he died for should now live for him who died and rose again on our behalf see there's now a compelling love that pushes us forward even though we don't see the full the fullness of the love of god yet that what we do see compels and pushes us doesn't it I love that word. We, we, NAS translated controls. Uh, several other versions translate it compels us. This is 2 Corinthians 5.14. Suneco, suneco is the word there. I like this. It means to be gripped by. Um, it's used of something that hymns somebody in or hymns something in, front and back. Uh, it has the idea of being held in custody. I wrote in my notes, arrested by the love of God. And I like to read it that way. For the love of Christ has arrested me. It's taken me captive to him. It's put me, uh, uh, secured me behind his love in a sense. Uh, uh, it helps me understand that. And it helps me realize that all other reasons for walking as a Christian or trying to please God all fail, don't they? It is the love of Christ that motivates us. And so if you try to come to God through works, that will fail. If you try to come to God through your own self-righteousness, it will fail. If you try to come to God through your pedigree, oh, my parents and this and so forth, or I'm a son of a preacher or whatever else, that will fail. If you keep 
certain laws, that will fail. If you don't eat certain things, that will fail. If you think you're doing something, that will fail. Only love prevails as our sole motivation. And that love is more than, oh, God just loves us. That love was demonstrated in that why we are sinners, what? Christ died for us, right? So there's a great motivation here. This is what he's doing. He's trying to move them to the greater gift, isn't he? So the pursuit of the love of Christ is something we should throw everything we have at, right? Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said this, and I pray this, that your love may abound still, what? More and more. You haven't arrived there yet. You and I have not arrived yet at the capabilities of love that God has instilled within us, and we have not arrived at understanding the full love of God yet. And so he says, I'm praying that you will abound still. Well, Pastor, I'm I'm this really loving person. He says, no, no, more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Your love for the Lord is going to help your discernment and your knowledge. It is only, it is our only hope, brothers and sisters, to have true joy in this fallen world. I think sometimes we grow more and more in our dislike of the direction of our country, and you lose a lot of joy, don't you? I mean, you, you know, I don't know, you can people get done praising the Lord after watching Fox News? Probably not. But I'll tell you what, you spend time in this passage, you'll have joy. You'll have joy when you think about the love of God and His care, His eternal care for us, how He knew us before the foundations, drew us to Himself. You rehearse the gospel to yourself, and you'll have joy. Get caught up in the things of the world, you'll lose that joy. And so the love of Christ is manifested to us through the Spirit, through the indwelling work of the uh, indwelling work of the Spirit. It's manifested through the gospel. It, it's it's manifested in God's sovereign plan in our lives. Right? I love that song. It helps us with our tomorrows. Does anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah, I mean you're not guaranteed you're going to get home. But God's loving, sovereign care of us causes us to put our hope in Him, not in in whatever else, right? Now, in the eternal state, and I think that's what this is all pointing to, this perfect, right? We'll experience the love of Christ in His fullness because sin will be removed and we'll see it in its perfection, right? And so I think the key here is let us, believers, Brothers and sisters, those who are born of God, born of spirit, born new, new birth. Let us pursue this ever, excuse me, never ceasing love of Christ. Second thought this morning. I'm way ahead of last week. I'm already to the second thought. (laughs) Contrasting the temporal with the permanent. He's going to give us some examples here now of of a real contrast between what's temporal and what's permanent. Remember, the gifts are the, the theme here. He's trying to help us understand so we don't abuse those things, but go towards love. Look at verse 9 with me. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Well, this word part is, um, I think some, some of your translations may translate it uh, partial. Meras is the word there. It means non-exhaustive. It speaks of a piece of something, right? A piece of a puzzle, right? Uh, It's used of regions. When you look at a country, there's regions. This is a, uh, that Greek word was used of that particular, particular region or a portion of something. And so the partial or 
here referring to the temporal gifts, must be replaced only by what is eternal, is what he's saying. This temporal cannot go with us into eternal state. There's something greater, right? And you start to see this when you study the Bible. If you're, if you're an avid reader of the Bible, you study the book of Acts, you'll see that these gifts start to, to diminish as the book goes on. The gifts are not as prominent as they were at the beginning as you get towards the end. The more letters are being inspired, pretty soon you begin to watch those things start to fade away. One of the uh, verses I often point out is you'll see Timothy who is ailing, he's sick. Well, wait a minute, Paul. Your shadow got people to heal. And what does he tell them? Drink a little wine for your stomach. Water was bad in those days, caused all kinds of problems. Hey, take a little wine. Whoa, 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 Paul, wait. Why don't you just go send your handkerchief over there? Gifts were starting to fade. Bible was taking front and center. Word of God was being written. But listen, how beautiful these gifts were when they were functioning. They were active. The truth of the gospel is being preached. Prophecy was happening of the coming king of kings. It was encouraging the saints. Men and women were hearing this truth in their own language. They were being drawn by the gospel to Jesus Christ. The revelation of mysteries once hidden were now being revealed. Uh, Old Testament prophecies were now showing fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was an amazing time. It was meant to humble them and bring them to the Lord. And yet it become something that caused great division. I think the Apostle Paul never sets a date here or terminates the gifts because he doesn't know. He, he doesn't know what God's doing. He's just trusting God as he goes along. But he does know that God has divine purposes. And so he knows there's a, there, these gifts have a time. They're limited. They're not going to keep going. And so that's why he's writing to us this way. But I think Paul was captured by this coming perfect right this eternal state i mean we we know he says i long to be there right but it's better for me right now to remain here as he writes to the corinthians in the second book he knew it god gave him a glimpse but again don't underestimate god's word i i I think i i think that what bothers me the most and and often when i meet people and try to help them who are kind of caught up in the sign gifts is there's just an underestimation of the Word of God. They, they get so caught up in, in the sensation of gifts and, and right in their hand is God's very Word. Everything we need for life and godliness. I, I've spent 50 years studying this book. I, I'm still learning stuff over and over. This chapter here has just blown my mind and what i've learned of the love of god and yet that's often underestimated we have the word of god brothers and sisters and we should love it it's sufficient it 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 comes with the spirit of god right that's what he does i'll take from you and i'll give it to them i'll put the spotlight on christ and his word that's what the spirit does he does not put the spotlight on a bunch of gifted people he puts it on christ and his word and yet, as sinners, we often want that spotlight. And we deceive people. And that's what happens so often. And Satan has his hand in this, certainly. Now, look with me at 
verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Partial's going away, right? And I think what we have is there's a now and then comparison, right? As we look back, right? We're looking back almost 2,000 years ago to the, to the Corinth church. There's things going on there that we don't need now because we have the full of scriptures. But it's also helping us look forward to the then, right? So we go, wow, I don't think I want to go back. I now have the scriptures, but I certainly want to go forward to the perfect, to the eternal state when I die or the Lord comes and gets me. And so there's this now and then that Paul is doing here. And again, it does not mean that the gifts were, were not sufficient on their own at that moment. God used those gifts. But listen, they were a means to the end. They were a means to the end. Now think about this. Gifts recognized authority. So God gave particularly the, the apostles certain gifts to recognize their authority as they recognize Christ in his word, and Christ in word leads us to eternity. But for some reason, we don't want to progress forward. We want to go back here. And that's why there's so much confusion, because it's, it's just wild. You can see wild things, and all kinds of spiritual you know, rabbit shows are going on, or magic shows are going on. And, and so Paul is wanting to progress, and I love that theme I see in this. Because we believe that Christ in his word are everything we need to bring us into the eternal state. Remember, his love will never fail, and his love is seen and understood through the word of God. Look at verse 11 with me. Yeah, he's very careful here, and this is Paul. This is you can see the love that he has as, he, as he's praying and talking about them, how he handles this. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Did you see the kindness of Paul? Uh, maybe some of us would have said, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies. <laughs> I think that's my loose translation there. But not Paul. He's kind. He puts himself in that situation, right? And, and, and maybe it was a short situation after the, the, the road, the... the, the light he saw of Christ on the road of Damascus. I mean, he goes into the wilderness for, for three years and is, goes through his seminary experience with Christ. And I, I don't know when he was here, but, but he puts himself in a position so he wants to help them realize that you cannot stay in a childlike state. And you can't miss this, brothers and sisters. He's connecting a childlike state with these temporary gifts. You just can't miss it. You see that? And I think that's what happens in our world of churches today, people, and particularly leaders, keep people in a childlike state instead of bringing them to maturity in the word of God. And he's, and he's actually warning. I think there's a very small and subtle rebuke here by the apostles. But he's using his own testimony to ease the sting of that. And so here's what he's saying. Stop chasing temporal things. Pursue the love of Christ that will remain forever. But notice also in verse 11, Paul is speaking of a, I think, a gradual putting off of childish things. Uh, you, you see this language. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. I think there's a growing into maturity. I think just a, a very easy scenario or example would be just children, right? 
children, uh, at least I think normal children, unless they have IQs of really high, you know, they like certain things, right? And they, as they go, they stop liking that and they like a new thing and, and they go on. But as they get older, you know, your teenager is, you know, he doesn't have something he sucks on or something like that. I hope not. Um, uh, they're, they're moving on, right? There's a progression to them as they move on. And I, and I think that's what he's doing here. The illustration is linking the fading away of sign gifts to a growing understanding of the gift that will never fade away. The love of Christ. <laughs> It'll never fade away. These things are, are going to start to fade away. The Bible's going to become complete. We're going to have everything we need written in word. And soon it's going to start being translated. Isn't it beautiful? The ministries that, that we love that translate the Bible all over the world. New translations getting completed each year. Reaching into their partial translations. Places where the book of John is just done. But their goal is to continue to give the word of God out. But there's men and women there teaching in right languages. Here, this is a gift that will never fade away, this love. Now, you go, well, how does Paul feel about this? Well, I think he tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that he's not attained such perfection yet, right? He, he knows, look, when I, became, I was a child, and now I became a man, I start to put away these child's things, but this is an ongoing of, of chasing the things that are eternal, right? So he says in Philippians 3, 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. Right? He has not reached that perfect state. There's, boy, there's a lot of false teaching out there. Um, Wesleyan movements that teach that you get saved and then you have some kind of second blessing, some, some spiritual thing happens and you shoot up and you, and you're, you live at per, uh, perfection. But the problem is all of those, you study their theology and their doctrine. If you fail, you go back around, lose your salvation and start over again. Oh, that's very prevalent in, in so-called Christianity around the world. But Paul says, look, I've not reached it yet. I'm not there yet. But notice what he says, but I press on so that I may lay a hold of that which also I lay a hold of by Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> so how do I get perfection? Through Christ. That's, that's who I'm running after. That's who I'm going to see when I step into glory. And then he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I press on. And so Paul's saying, don't stay back here in these temporary things. Press on. Run after the love of Christ. That's, that's seen in the scriptures, that's seen in doctrine and theology and, and, and great, the great orthodox of truth that we believe in. Go run after those things. Know him in a greater way. Look at verse 12 with me. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Well, again, remember that maturity is not perfection. There's a day when we will see Jesus, as John said in chapter, first, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when we see him, we'll be like him. There were so many things that began to understand. There were even dimmer times coming out of the Old Testament. There was great prophecies that they didn't quite understand until Christ came on the scene. I've told you about a story about a young man named Daniel who came to know the Lord. He was... A, a Jewish young man raised in rabbinical schools and all of that. And when he came to Christ, he looked at the person who led him to Christ and he said, 
I miss the Messiah. And they said immediately all of those Old Testament truths came rushing forward. And he saw the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he began to realize he is the one that the Old Testament was speaking about. And great joy filled his heart. And so many of the prophet's visions were mysteries until Christ came. And they were dim. But, but even now, there is a, a dimly mirror. What? what a, I think what a beautiful picture of that. And, and, and you say, well, don't, don't you see Christ clear in the scriptures that we have everything we need for life and godliness? Yes, yes. But what it tells me, there's so much more. I, I've always said this. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 29, 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he has revealed belong to us. Boy, there's a lot of things we're going to learn. We're going to see the beauty and depth of the love of Christ in a way we've never seen before. It's coming. By death or by rapture, it's coming, brothers and sisters. And you're going to see this. It's going to be exposed. And so, yes, it is still a little dim. And, and I'll tell you why. I'll know why it is dim. Because I still struggle with issues, don't I? If I saw the full glory and the person and the, all the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God, oh, it would certainly... It would certainly be everything I need, but there's times I struggle like you. And so this tells me that there is so much more to see. One of the things that I also thought of is back in the day when, at least when Gina and I were dating and we were apart, we wrote letters to each other. And we missed each other and you didn't see each other's face. I think FaceTime probably has taken some of that away. Um, but there's this longing, right? There's a longing to see somebody that you've been away from. I, I enjoy that with our missionaries when I first get off a plane and they're there to greet us, just to greet them, right? And so now we see the Lord through the scriptures and he's beautiful and, and everything we need, right? But there's a time and our loved ones who have passed before us, they've stepped into his presence because Paul says the absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a beautiful thing that is. I have a glimpse. I have some thoughts. I have from the scriptures, I have some understanding of what that day is going to be like. But boy, I, it's, it's still dim compared to what reality will be someday. And I know that there's so many that have gone ahead of us who have enjoyed that. John said this in his first epistle, chapter 4, 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God any time. If we love one another, listen to this, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. It's a perfect passive. I mean, it, there was a start that just continues on and on for eternity. A perfect is a great, a great verb, right? Because it helps us understand there's something. It took place at a point in time. And now it has an eternal lasting. And it's passive. God gave us his love. And he's at this perfecting work in us. We praise the Lord. Notice this little phrase, face to face. Well, you can't, you can't just long for that, right? To be in the presence of our God and Savior. To see him. To see him in his resurrected flesh. To see our older brother who took on flesh so he could die for us. To be in his presence. To see him face to face. Oh, that makes your heart warm. Paul says, I prefer rather to be absent from the body and present with him. But he says, I'll continue on. And we know this because Paul said, I'm confident this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it. Perfected until the day of Christ. Last little phrase here in verse 12 is worth looking at. He says, I know in part, right? 
I've known in part. Now I know in part. But then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. I know in part. Well, that doesn't mean you go, well, I just got what I need. <laughs> this is a part that we just keep running after, right? We, we keep running. How, how big is that partial view of the love of Christ that you have? How big is that? Is it getting bigger? As a Christian, as you grow and are under the preaching and teaching of God's word and under discipleship and, and in your Bible and your personal time, your partial view of the love of Christ should just be getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? This is why we refer to things like progressive sanctification. We're growing more in his image. That's what it should be happening, right? This view of the love of Christ should be expounding. So, but it is just in part. But Peter's last words, right, that we have inspired from him said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and say, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So right now we have a glorious view of Jesus Christ, but that, that's not the end of it, right? We keep growing and growing to the day of eternity. That's the purpose of it. One last phrase that really makes you think, and I could preach full sermons on this phrase, when we're fully known, right? That we've been fully known. Just think about that. We're longing to fully know the love of Christ, the love of God. He has fully known us. He has no partial view of us. Our view and understanding of him is partial in a sense, right? We'll, we'll know him fuller when we get there. That's why we pursue a love that, that remains. But his view is not partial. He knows everything about us. He knows every fiber in us, every cell, every thought before it's thunk. He knows that stuff. And he still loves you. Isn't that a phenomenal thought? We've been fully known by him, though we are still grasping and striving to know the depth and breadth and length of the love of Christ. He fully knows us. And you can rest in that when you suffer. You can rest in that when your health goes south. You can rest in that when relationships suffer and, and difficulties come your way. Your God fully knows you. And he loves you. And he sent his son to take all the weight and burden and punishment of your sin upon himself. And he showed the greatest demonstration. You, brother and sister, are fully loved. Do you grasp that? Do you understand that? I've talked to people just recently that told me that they're lonely. They've lost a loved one and they're lonely. For you who have said that to me, you are fully loved. Perfectly. I can't love you in the way God loves you. And I love you, brother and sister. But I can't love you like this. God knows you and he fully loves you. Well, last thought, number three. Why is love the greatest of these? Look at verse 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, verse 13, here's what I think, is ends in a great description of Christianity. I think this is a wonderful description of Christianity. I think it's also a verse that's been abused. I was in a Hallmark store Christmas shopping not too long ago, and I saw the nice plaque, faith, hope, and love, right? So even the unsaved love this term, right? And I think unsaved people can show patience and kindness with one another. They can believe in something. 
They can bear with other things. They can put their hope in certain things. And they can endure through hard times. Uh, I love watching old World War II films and things like that. Man, that generation just suffered through some hard times. But that's not what this verse is about. <laughs> verse 13 is describing divine characteristics. And listen to this. Certain evidences of God's work in your life. He's given you faith, hope, and love. These are divine aspects. This comes through the loving act of Christ. Paul loves these terms. He uses them a lot. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. We give thanks to, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now listen. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid down for you in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. He loves these terms. Because I think it's the divine characteristics of a true believer. Now think about the first one, faith. I think this is a genuine, true and genuine gift of the Spirit, right? We don't say to other people, I faith my way to God. I think you've heard me say this. Well, I just faith my way to God. Well, how did you do that? You're dead in your sins. You have no spiritual pulse. You're, you're at wrath with God. You have no love for Him. The Bible's really clear on that, right? So we don't say, I faith my way to God. But as we mature, we say... My God-given faith has caused me to trust in Jesus Christ alone. I do not rely on my own giftedness. I don't rely on my works of righteousness. I don't rely on my baptism or church attendance or anything else that I could gain from my own righteous standing before this holy God. I put my hope and faith fully in Christ who loved me, who died for me, and drew himself to me. That's the mark of a Christian. That's faith. God gave us that. He gave us that faith. And he doesn't give it to everybody. It's clear, right? Where's all of Orman? He gives it to people. He, and, and how he does that, you got to leave that to him. Don't cross that line. He does that. We just keep preaching the gospel and longing for him to save others. But he gives you faith. And my God-given faith has led me to understand and believe that I'm saved, not through any of my works, but through the loving, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his work alone, by his grace alone, through this God-given faith alone, and that kind of God-given faith will, will, will give you an absolute trust in him. And, that, and that's a gift. It's a mark of a genuine believer. Well, what about hope? Well, I think this is another true and genuine gift of the Spirit. The world doesn't have this kind of God-given hope, right? They don't have a God-given hope in the love of Jesus Christ. This is a divine gift. It gives every true believer a loving assurance that there's something better than this world. That we have a, a Savior who loved us and has gone to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and get us and take us to be with him. That's a hope that cannot pass away. It's a gift. And so this divine gift of the Spirit causes you to strive for a love that, that, the, that the previous verses haven't been teaching us till we become, till we come into that step, into that perfect, right? Into that eternal state. And that's an amazing love. An amazing love that can produce hope that will not be fulfilled on this earth, right? I have a hope that I know is not going to be fulfilled on this earth. It's for the eternal state, but yet that hope motivates me. That's an incredible hope. And, and I watch it all the time. I watch people suffer. I watch them go through treatments and cancer and loss of loved ones. I, I watch them do that. And, and do they give up hope? No. It, yes, it gets rattled in their flesh at times, but they have a hope that secures them. That's a gift from God. It's a mark of a believer. 
The rest of them are going, I guess they're out there in some kind of fuzzy world floating around somewhere. No. Because he raised Jesus, he'll raise us. <laughs> I mean, our hope is in the resurrection of Christ. He beat death and sin and Satan. Oh, we have such great hope. This is a mark of a believer. This is great. These things are great. Remember, he's distancing from these temporary gifts. He's putting our attention on the ones that last forever. Two of them, particularly faith and hope, that drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And listen, if you're here this morning and you've put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, and your hope is in the promise of assurance of eternal life through this loving, finished work of Christ, and this causes you now to love one another, that's a mark that you're saved. And I don't care if you're spiritually young or physically old. It doesn't matter how you feel at times. God has blessed you with that, and it keeps you going. It is a divine gift of God, faith and hope. And I praise him daily for these things. If you possess these divine attributes, you have evidence. God's given you divine evidence that he's changed your life. All these other spiritual gifts just pale in comparison to the value of faith, hope, and love. That's what he's trying to get us to get to. That's what he's trying to get Corinth to get away from that. You're, you're so hung up on such temporal things. There's something so much greater. Faith, hope, and love. Do your lives reflect those three? Is that the result of God's handiwork on your soul? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your past, present, and future sins and you'll never be judged for those? Do you believe that? That's God granting you faith. Do you have a hope that he's not going to leave you here or condemn you? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have a hope that you will not fall under condemnation? That's the mark of salvation. Do you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really love him? You know it's imperfect, right? We're still working on that. We don't see his fullness. Yet. But do you love him? Do you love Jesus? That's the mark of a believer. All other gifts pale in comparison to this. But finally, why is love the greatest of these? Why does he say this? Now, I thought hard about this. And I thought, well, one, the Bible doesn't tell us that God is hope and faith. The Bible tells us what? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Nowhere does it tell us that God is faith and hope. Those are things for us. And so God does not need faith and hope because he's the source of faith and hope, right? It's us that need that. And so, so here's my thinking. Faith and hope are the, ends, the means to the end, right? Faith and hope Help us love God and love one another. Do you see that? He instills in us, gives us this great gift of faith, gives us this great gift of hope, so we'll love him and love one another. That's his command. And that's a love that lasts forever. Look, faith and hope will end someday because you'll be looking at the author of them. Right? I mean, here he is. The author of our salvation Hope and faith are done, man. We're going to live by sight, not by faith. Now we live by what? Faith. And so what this is telling me is Paul's saying, you've got to keep going forward. There's the greatest gift. It is love. Love will last forever. It's eternal. And just in closing, let me wrap up this because I want you to understand this in context. The Corinthians were boasting of their gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. 
and they ended up in this factitious church full of division. They had strife, jealousy, false teaching, and they had a bunch of broken lives. That's where it got them. And Paul's telling them, look, you've got to look at the real important things, not these fading temporary sign gifts. There's something greater. There's faith, hope that leads to an understanding of love. There's nothing greater than that. And I think, brothers and sisters, that's our key to relationship with God and with one another. It's not so much our gifts, right? We lean on our gifts, we'll fail you. My gifts will fail you. Some people don't like my preaching. Some people don't like me. Some people don't like you. I know it's hard to hear. But you know who never fails is Christ. And that's who we preach. And that's who we cling to. Our gifts will fail, but the love of God will never fail. And someday, brothers and sisters, our sin will be removed from this scenario. It's been removed from a forgiveness standpoint of view, right? That's the gospel. But this flesh that we live in, that we battle with, right? We wrestle against not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. So that's going to be dealt with. But we also do wrestle with our flesh, right? Right? We war. Our flesh wars against the spirit, Galatians 5 tells us. That's going to be done. And all we're going to do is bask and grow in the knowledge of the love of God. I pray that you will do that with me now as we wait for the return of our Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your unbelievable love for us. That you would take our past, present sin, allow your Father to judge you as though you committed him. You forgave us. You nailed all of our debts to the cross. And then, Father, knowing us from the foundations of the world, there was a point in time you plunged faith into our sick souls. And you helped us believe where we could not have. You, you helped us love where we were full of hate. You helped us come out from under wrath and be your family. You did this all by giving us faith in Jesus Christ alone. You've given us a hope the end of this difficult life with its trials and struggles and battles of flesh and sin, Lord, that there is a heaven waiting for us as our Lord predicted and promised and prophesied. There is a place that he's preparing for us. And when he's completed that, he will come and get us. You gave us those great gifts of faith and hope. But the greatest of these is love, Lord. I pray that we will grow now progressively in our love for you because someday we'll step into that eternal state, the perfect. And we will see you fully and know how you fully knew us. And so, Lord, may we not waste time chasing peripheral or temporary things, Lord. May we run after the things that last forever. I pray this in Jesus' name.